0: Welcome everybody to Telich Talks. This is episode number eight. And I want to thank you very much for tuning in to this episode. And if you have already subscribed and are a part of my podcasting future, as it were, I appreciate that ever so much. In our last episode, we talked about some conventional yet unconventional records in the world of sports. Some records we thought would never be broken. I brought up Johnny Vandermeer, who had two straight games where he pitched a no-hitter. I do not anticipate that record being broken. I can't see anybody pitching three straight no-hitters. That is just absolutely incredible to perceive. I had the opportunity, May fifteenth, 1981, to cover a perfect game. That was Lenny Barker of the Cleveland Indians, and it was on a very cold, blustery night at the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium. It was a night that, I understand, Lenny was very late in even getting to the game, but his curveball was sharp. His fastball, his one of his best pitches, certainly was was working its wonders that night against the Toronto Blue Jays, and he was able to set history. And I can also remember running up to him when he was on the hill being congratulated by his teammates, trying to get close to him, and then walking off the field with the other reporters and camera people and interviewing him in the dugout afterwards – And he was shaking. He was vibrating, literally, from the excitement, the adrenaline that was still pumping through his body. And it was an otherworldly experience when you consider how few games had been perfect games as recently as that date back in May 15th of 1981. I also had the opportunity to cover Dave Steeb of the Toronto Blue Jays in 1991, pitch a no-hitter against the Indians, and spoke with him after that, and similar feelings, it, just, it was one of those days where everything just seemed to come together. One guy that set a record many, many years ago, 1962 was the year, 57 years ago, The great Will Chamberlain, the Dipper, the man who was seven feet, one inch, and was just an absolute physical freak at the time, and was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He broke the record, as I mentioned, early in 1962. I vaguely remember it when I read the sports pages as a little kid. He was a member of the Philadelphia Warriors. He did that over the New York Knicks. In fact, he did it in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And the interesting story about doing in Hershey, Pennsylvania is some of the teams back in those days would travel and play games in arenas that were not necessarily in their home cities. And they had a few games in Hershey, Pennsylvania, in an arena, I believe, that only seated seven to 8,000 people. It was mostly used for ice hockey. But on that night, the Philadelphia Warriors were playing the New York Knickerbockers. And it was incredible that Wilt had a great game in his own right was because, according to the legend, He woke up with a massive hangover from partying all night in New York City. He found his way over to Philadelphia, took the train to Philly, and then hooked up with his teammates, and then they somehow got themselves to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and were able to play the game that night, and history was set. But enough of me talking about it. Let's set the stage even more so. One of my former colleagues at Fox 8, who went on to have a very, very good career at CNN, at Turner Television. He does golf coverage, NBA coverage, pretty much a jack-of-all-trades, and a great, great friend of mine. Here's Vince Cellini talking about a bit the night back in
1: 1962. The Will Chamberlain record, it's remarkable. What has it been? Almost 60 years now. And that 100, that nice round figure, sits out there. Uh, a couple of things about that. Wilt had to take 63 shots and make 28 of 32 free throws. It's, it's really amazing, even though the fact that he did score over 50 points a game that season in 1962.
0: Thanks, Vince. We'll get back to you in just a second. A little bit more about what happened that night. Vince alluded to the incredible amount of free throws that he shot he he made 28 of them and he was a horrible free throw shooter for the most part of his career but on that night he certainly Could not miss. And we could have predicted that this night was going to happen. In fact, I believe Elgin Baylor, who saw his team surrender 78 points to Wilt Chamberlain in a game earlier in the season, back in December of 61, the Lakers gave up 78 points in triple overtime. And after that game, Elgin Baylor said, well, 15 extra minutes certainly speaks for itself, but uh, Wilt Chamberlain is going to hit 100 one of these days. And on that night, In Hershey, Pennsylvania, the Knicks were fouling others to just keep the ball away from Chamberlain, and they also tried to play deliberate basketball. So the Warriors, in their own tactics, just went and fouled guys to get them to the free throw line to get the ball back so that Wilt could get the ball and perhaps move closer and closer to that 100 points. I don't know if that record's going to be broken. Let's check in again with Vince. Vince has an idea. Perhaps who would have an opportunity to break
1: it? Here's Vince. Can it be broken? That's the question. And and by whom? I will just throw this out there. I think one of the candidates who might get close, but first let's see if he can get an 80-point game or even 70, is Clay Thompson of the Golden State Warriors, a guy who can ignite, already has a 37-point quarter under his belt and he doesn't really need to have the ball very long in order to score. Plus, he's a three-point marksman. He can get hot. Yet and still, even 15 threes made is, what, 30, 45 points? That's not even halfway there. It's going to take a while, and the question is, will guys continue to feed him like they did Wilt uh, on that night in Hershey in 1962? Can it be broken? All records can, I imagine. Will it be? Maybe not in my lifetime.
0: Thanks, Vince, for your expertise. Another guy, I think, who has an opportunity to break the record is Clay's teammate, Steph Curry. But when Vince alluded to the fact that, let's say, you just hit 15 three-pointers, that's only 45 points and you have so much more to go. If it were just on three-pointers alone, Steph or Clay or whomever would have to hit 34 of those three-pointers. So you'd have to throw up like 40, 45, to even 50 of them to hit 34. And I just can't see a team having one of their players spend the game shooting that many three-pointers. However, here's another name to think about. James Harden of the Houston Rockets. Already this year, he's had a couple of 61-point games. In fact, he had a stretch where he had 61 against the Spurs... And then he threw down 57 against Memphis. Back-to-back games of high production. He certainly is MVP guy in this season by most estimation. So he's a guy who, on the perfect night, could be fed by his teammates and could be hot enough. He certainly can score in other ways than throwing up three-pointers. We know he's got the great ability to score off the dribble. He could be a guy. Now, How about Kobe Bryant? Kobe had two 60-point games twice in his career I mean I mean two 60 point games in a season and he did that twice in his career and we know that Kobe has gone over the 80 point mark once in a game in the NBA and so he is a guy that had the opportunity during his Hall of Fame career to do it but still came up shy of equaling what Wilt Chamberlain was able to do And when you consider Will Chamberlain probably was groomed and was the guy to do this, when he was a high school basketball player, he scored 90 points in one game. 9-0 in 32 minutes. That is incredible. In fact, if you bring this even closer to home here in Northeast Ohio, remember the great Clark Kellogg, now the CBS broadcaster. Of course, many people don't remember that he was a phenomenal basketball player in high school at St. Joseph High and in college at Ohio State University. In the state championship game, his senior year his final game as a high school basketball player he scored 51 points in a losing cause for St. Joe's in that championship game and that was incredible to say the least so here's a guy that had everything come together for him on a high school basketball night was able to score 51 points. That's almost as remarkable in the greater scheme of things as what Wilt Chamberlain was able to do in a gerrymandered basketball game when they were changing the possessions in order to get him the ball back, whereas Clark Kellogg's, his came in the general flow of the game, and I think that's remarkable in its own right. What's real remarkable about what Wilt did is that there's no video no video from that game. Again, folks, it was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, not the mecca of NBA basketball. It was not at MSG Madison Square Garden. It was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. There are some radio clips of the broadcast that night when he reached 100, and I believe 4,000, about half the uh, uh, capacity of the basketball arena was on hand and was able to hear what Will Chamberlain did, but there is apparently no video of that game. In fact, really the only I think thing that you can see on the internet nowadays is the picture of Wilt sitting there with the uh, white card that has the number 100 right next to it and that's basically all you have seen. So one of the greatest records in sports history was not documented for film and yet what I believe one of the most incredible athletic feats in the history of the world was just documented on film last year. That feat belongs to Alex Honnold, the adventurer, the rock climber, the incredible athlete who did, last year, climb El Capitan. That's the 3,000, nearly 3,000-foot rock face on Yosemite National Park. And he did that unaided, as you would call, free solo, no ropes, no aid whatsoever, just his sheer guile and uh, daringness if you will and he did that in just under four hours it was obviously an incredibly death-defying type of a an operation and as he did it he was being filmed by filmmakers and a documentary was made and perhaps you heard at the academy awards not too long ago the movie free solo was given an Academy Award in the documentary category, just an incredible uh, feat of uh, athletic accomplishments by Honnold, but even more so, an amazing piece of video that we got an opportunity to see. And this is something you just cannot take lightly. Since the year 2013, five have died trying to climb El Capitan, and those were climbers who had the aid of ropes and things that were knocked into the face of the cliff that they could hang on to or or supported by, and yet he had the opportunity to continue working on that. He lives out of a van for the most part during the climbing months. He's a very simple guy who thinks about just his foundation to do greater things in the world. And all he thinks about is climbing and attempting these incredibly difficult uh, feats. And so he became the first man in history to climb El Capitan free solo. And while he did it, video cameras, film cameras were in his face, as it were, for the free solo film that came out and won the Academy Award. And there's been trepidation just surrounding Alex Honnold. He was a sponsored athlete by some specific uh, endeavors. And one or two of those kind of pulled out because they were afraid of being connected to someone who, uh, you know, there's an opportunity that you could die attempting to do some of the feats of rock climbing that he has. And so one of those companies uh, did uh, sever their relationship with him. But he accomplished the feat. The film came out. It was incredible. I had an opportunity to see it, and of course was very excited that that group did indeed win an Academy Award. So I thought I would bring in Ray Justovic. He is uh, one of my colleagues at Fox 8 who is also a film critic. And he does have a vote with the Academy. And so he is very uh, up on all things cinematic, as it were. And he watched that film. And the amazing thing here is that the whole world has seen what this guy could do The death-defying aspects of climbing El Capitan, they see it right there in living color. You can see it in an IMAX theater, for that matter. It's right there. You cannot hide from the tension and the drama of it. So I thought I'd bring Ray in, R.J., and he can talk a bit about El Capitan, about Alex Honnold, and the aspect of watching one of the most incredible films you'll ever see. R.J., just
2: cinematically, what did you think of it? Cinematically, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I mean, uh, the shots that they capture and the way that they capture them is kind of incredible. Um, There's no movie like it, I think, that, at least not in recent memory, that conveys how terrifying it is what these people do. (laughs) I mean, they consider it sport, relaxation, leisurely. Um, Free Solo is anything but that while watching it, though. For me, anyway. I found it to be tension-packed I could not believe that people do this for relaxation and fun and for the uh thrill I suppose but right um, they're amazing people the amazing brains that probably work like no one else you know but I find it just is it a death wish is it not a death wish is it just trying to prove something to yourself that goes beyond what the average person feels they need to prove um Uh, It's an incredible movie, uh, very worthy of all the accolades it's gotten. Um, uh, But yeah, I just find it to be an impressive movie from beginning to end. I just found after watching it once, I could not go back to rewatch it again. I just was, I was very concerned about (laughs) the, uh, uh, not uh, the director, not Jimmy Chin, um, who is uh, Alex. Yeah. I'm uh, that he would, that he chooses to do this for his living. I again, uh, kudos to him, but. I don't think I've ever felt more tensed up watching a movie than I have watching free solo. It was it's incredible, but wow, what was amazing to me was
0: just how we underplay how much of a phenomenal athlete he had to be to do what he did and to have the guts to do that. And that's kind of what makes him the great athlete that he is is because he takes on challenges that are they're literally,
2: death Defy. Right. There's that scene in the movie that you were talking to about yeah. with me where he's trying to devise a way to get around a certain yeah. part of the mountain. Um, and again, gang, if you if you haven't seen this movie yet, they're doing this climbing called free climbing, free, yeah, free solo, solo. Yeah. without any types of rigging yeah. in case they lose their grip. And there's a scene in the movie where they're like, eh, well, we got to take a little break because I can't seem to find this handhold that I like yeah. on this mountain. And, you know, you're maybe just watching it and then you kind of stop and think, wait, this I can't find a handhold is life or death. I mean, it's yeah. not just, hey, let's take a little break while I find this different route or something. This is something that, you know, hey, if I lose my handhold, I'll be dead by falling off of a mountain under the ground.
0: And apparently in the film, you can see that he does take one whack at it one day, goes only so far up the mm-hmm. up El Capitan, then says, I'm not feeling it, and then... Lives to try it, on, you know,
2: backs off a bit, and then tries it once again. And there, I mean, there's scenes in this film where I, I think I remember correctly watching it. The director, uh, the director and the camera people even back off. They yeah. decide they're going to put up robotic cameras because they don't want to be in his way. They don't want to be near him doing this because they don't want to mess up his climb. They don't want to. I, I think they get into a, a, a big long section of the film when a lot of the guys are kind of like. I'm not sure I want to be around to yes. film him. Yeah. I don't know if I want... I hate to keep coming back to this, but even the cameramen are like, I'm not sure I want to be around to film him because I fear for what he's doing.
0: Well, what was amazing too, RJ, was to see Jimmy Chin, who himself is a world-class climber, and he's the guy closest to Alex. He's the guy kind of out of his frame of reference, per se, not wanting to get in his space. But yet, could you imagine the emotional burden that this guy who is filming it, he's close at hand, he's he's tethered to ropes, of course, Alex is not, but he's getting these images on film knowing full well that he literally could be shooting a guy who's taking his last breath 3,000 feet up a, up a, the face of a mountain.
2: Yeah, I mean, the whole movie goes through all of it. I mean, you, you kind of feel everything that, um, that Alex's girlfriend feels or yeah. even uh, the director Jimmy feels. Uh, But at the end result of the film, it is something of beauty. I mean, it's an amazing movie to watch. Uh, If you're scared of heights, (laughs) uh, then it may be a little rougher. But it is an incredible movie to watch. The the kind of human determination to do something at times is a true spectacle. And I think that that's almost as on view in this film as the climb itself. Mm. Just what is it, the mental uh, fortitude that a person has to, you know... It's more to me than just because it's there. (laughs) I mean, you have something to prove other than I could climb a mountain. Uh, It's really an incredible piece of work. It is. All right, great. Appreciate your perspective. Thanks. Thank you very
0: much. You got it, bud. Two great athletic achievements, one 57 years ago and the other one just one year ago. One seen by the world in living color for all its drama as it unfolded right in front of you. And the other one, no video whatsoever of a man scoring 100 points in an NBA basketball game in Hershey, Pennsylvania, back in the year of 1962. Amazing. Conventional sports, we cannot see anything that happened in this game And an unconventional sport of rock climbing. And the whole world can watch, second by second, as this man climbs up almost 3,000 vertical feet to become the only man in history to do such a thing. Free soloing El Capitan. Just amazing. Breaking boundaries in the world of sports. And I love to talk about that. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Telich Talks. I look forward to you, of course, hanging with us as we get into more episodes. We'll delve into endurance sports. That's something that's near and dear to my heart because I do participate in long-distance events, whether they be triathlons, which I did for many, many years, or now ultra marathons as well. And talk to the people in the sport and talk to individuals in other sports that are newsmakers or folks that have opinions about changing lives and having a great time competing as athletes or inspiring others to be the best they can be. So if you can, please support us here. Subscribe, rate. We're on all the platforms, and we look forward to the next time that you tune in to another edition of Telich Talks. Thanks, guys. See you later.